Curtis being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. That's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Knighton. Caught. Touchdown, Chargers. That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. What is going on, everybody? Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast assembles in the offseason amidst huge news in the coaching department. Andy Prophet, your host, joined by Jack Reed, Alistair Lloyd, and our great mate, Kyle DiDominicantonio. Welcome, fellas. The Bolts have landed the big fish and hired Michigan National Championship head coach winning Jim Harbour to lead the team on a reported five-year deal. <laughs> We'll get into that and what else could fall in the front office almost imminently uh, as the show goes on. As it's been a busy week for the team, welcoming a new head coach into the building, Kyle and his lovely wife, Zaina, have recently welcomed in daughter Izzy. Congratulations to you guys. Congrats. Uh, it, it's argu arguably been a bigger week for myself and my wonderful fiance, Cash. Uh, we welcomed in our little boy, Austin James Prophet, into the world early on Monday morning. You! Uh, yeah! Uh, the, the newest member of the TDU family and, and the Bolt fam, uh, everyone, thanks guys, everyone Yo! is at home, happy and healthy and recovering, and um, it's fantastic, it's, uh, it's, it's just the best feeling ever, so it's been a, an awesome week, piled on with a time at home to watch a lot of the content pouring in over the, the Harbour hire, um, but just, you know, just spend, spend some time and, um, and settle into the, the new role as, uh, as Papa's. So uh, there we go. What a week indeed. Uh, how are you guys going? What's been happening, fellas? Jack? Uh, it's Lombardi hunting season with Herbert and Harbour, baby! Oh, yeah! Uh, no, I'm just going to relax. I have said to myself, and I've also said on this podcast that I'm not going to get too excited until I see well, some blood things just hit 180, so. in the in the next couple of months. Uh, the hires in the front office are obviously going to be very important. Uh, Jesse Minter has clearly just been hired as our DC as well. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but it is exciting. Uh, the narrative is slightly changing around the charges. It seems to be they want to change organizationally. A couple of things are happening, which is fantastic, but I'm just going to temper myself uh, as much as I can because I'm still kind of trying to get over the last three years. Oh, man. I'm, I'm excited. Like, I was obviously captain of the Brandon Staley fan club, but you know what? We've hired a, arguably the, one of the best football coaches in the United States it's not like the new coach is some untried coordinator who, you know, we don't know what he's going to do. Harbaugh's been a head coach for 20 years. Everywhere he's gone, he's turned around the program. So, look, it's probably the most exciting moment for Bolts fans I can remember. I'm excited that you're all new dads. I'm the only kind of one lagging behind, but that's okay. I struggle to take care of myself sometimes, probably for the best for now. But hope, hopefully you guys can, um, hopefully you guys can come, get through the, the show, I dare say, between us. You've probably had about two hours sleep each. I might have had the least, but that's probably because I was watching hardball clips all night. But, you know, we're all in <laughs> all in it together. And, it's God, it's a good time to be a Bolts fan, Carl, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible. This is like Christmas for me, guys. I uh, I threw out 
like last year that this would be like the dream scenario would be getting Harbaugh. And at the time I said Fangio, since uh, that would be a scheme congruent move. Uh, but I never thought that that would happen, you know, and now it's like everything that's happened over the last 12 months, even though we got drugged through the gravel uh, during that time, uh, feels like it happened for a reason and that we're in pretty much a, a best case scenario, despite the fact we're going to have to do a major roster calling. So it's it's fun. It's exciting. There's so much reason for hope and um, to really be optimistic about this team. And it's just it's a it's a great weird rare feeling that we get to have today where it seems well, you, like you were talking about this more than a year ago kyle well i've yeah right uh with you with you i've been talking about it this has been a little crush of mine for a while i've really liked harbaugh i think the only the first time i said it on twitter was last year um hmm. just when we were talking about the post jacksonville loss and everybody was not everybody i should say um it was just trending like oh sean payton coming to the chargers yeah. i was like why the hell would you trade all that draft capital that the Broncos gave up for Sean Payton when you have a better coach sitting there in John Harbaugh, sorry, Jim Harbaugh, that um, you don't have to give away any draft capital for that I think was a more successful coach in a shorter tenure. Sure, he didn't win a Super Bowl the way Payton did, but um, that's because he has a four-year sample size in the NFL. You know, give him more time and it's going to happen. And he's out. Yeah, yeah it's very it's exciting stuff. <laughs> Jim is him. Uh, obviously, plenty to uh, talk about with Harbour. Um, on the show as well, guys, we're going to get into hashtag TDU mailbag, a little bit of uh, fan interaction uh, led by Al, and a bit of red light, green light, just a agree or disagree game. And we'll follow up with a bit of a playoff uh, recap, Super Bowl predictions, and maybe some lessons that we could look on for the Chargers uh, from this recent playoffs series like making it all right harbour is head coach um guys what is our obviously we've just spoken uh, freely in the intro about our reaction to the hire um but what does it mean for the organization um jack do you want to just chuck a little bit in there uh what does this hire mean on and off the on and off the field for this team we can get very excited that we do have a 20-year head coach coming in, one of the best football minds in America, as you said, Alistair. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. This still is a little bit of a Spanos hire, isn't it? Let's just be really careful. <laughs> Harbour knows the Chargers. He knows the Chargers really well. They're friends with, with the fam, or he's friends with the family from his time there as a player. He's kept connected. So... As much as they might want to say that we're looking at things differently from a organizational standpoint and how we want to structure things, it's still very much a, oh, we know you, you know us. Uh, the only difference here is that it's not a first-time coach. It's not a Staley. It's not a Lynn. It's not a McCoy. So um, in that sense, I think there's some steps forward, but that familiarity can also be a source of negativity. But it, in this case, though, because... Harbour is so experienced and I think the leash he is going to have is going to be very long because of that familiarity with the Spanos. Uh, I think this is a pretty solid hire, but I don't think it's a complete 180 in terms of, oh, that we're doing things completely differently here at the Chargers now. So that would be my first kind of temper, temper in terms of reaction to the hire. I love this. Carl, Carl almost 
fainted when he heard you starting with like a, you know, urging caution, something not effusively positive. But I might build on that, Jack, because, you know, I've never seen the Chargers fan base like in unison so quickly to do something. And and people with contrary views on Twitter, if you wanted Ben Johnson to be the coach or Vrabel, I mean, people would come after you a little bit if you, if you express those views because it's just such an obvious hire, Jim Harbour. Maybe quickly, because obviously there's a lot to be excited about. Is there any cause for concern? And I've got a couple of ideas around either scheme, Kyle, or, you know, he hasn't been in the NFL for 10 years, Andy. But Jack, building on what you just said there, what do you think about kind of his personality as the kind of, as the big swinging D of the organization? Because when he's time ran out with San Francisco. He had a very clear falling out with the GM Trent Balky and the owner Jed York. Um, Harbour said what they know could not blow up a small balloon. That was his quote. And, um, and apparently they tried to trade him to the Browns at the end of the 2013 season. Didn't happen. They go eight and eight in 2014. He gets let go. And he came out and said, look, I would have coached, but they got rid of me. So does that concern you at all, mate? When you have an enigmatic personality, you live by the sword and die by the sword, right? So I think there's got to be an element of this is what you get with Harbour. You get a firecracker. You get a leader of men. You get a person that is stalwart in the way that they want to do things. Hopefully not uh, Hopefully not as stalwart and stubborn as Staley ended up being at the end of his tenure. But I think that makes the GM hire so much more important. And Alistair, you posted on X yesterday about how the GM, who's it going to be? Is it going to be a person who is on the level with Harbour, who has the same experience and similar uh, resume with building teams and being in the league for quite a bit? Or is it going to be a new GM who's been a, an, a, an AGM for a number of years uh, who wants to learn a bit more? If that's got to be so crucial because that relationship between and let's let's not call Harbour a head coach. He's going to be a pseudo general manager anyway. That relationship there, I think, is going to be one of the most important things going forward, um, other than what we do in terms of a roster um, and and how we sort of build and what scheme we do. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, Cole, Cole, what do you think about um, kind of scheme wise? The, do you have any concerns? I know you're an X's and O's guy and, and spend a bit of time crunching the tape. How do you feel about the Jim Harbaugh's uh, scheme? I don't consider myself an X's and O's guy. I consider myself more of the, I obsess more over the general manager type decisions and salary cap stuff. The X's and O's, I just like to study because it's I it's fun and it's where I try to learn who we should try to plug and play. And I haven't had time to, uh, I don't know Minter's scheme that well yet. Um, so I can't speak too much on that. Uh, the interesting thing that, or what I find interesting for us is you, you and I briefly touched on it, Al, you look at, you know, what the NFL was like when Harbaugh was coaching and it was very different. Um, Harbaugh was run heavy. He normally, that would be a cause for concern. If a coach had been out of the NFL that long and came back and, you know, we would be asking, okay, is he going to be able to keep up with the pace of the new game? I don't have that same concern being that he was in college where a lot of the innovation and high-flying offenses come from. He still thrived in college, even though he was more of a run-first guy. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a... I don't think we're going to be negatively affected by that. If anything, I think it's going to be great. 
we will take a little bit of pressure off Justin Herbert. It'll just be interesting to see how Harbaugh shifts because, you know, he specifically called out how excited he was to work at work with Herbert. And he's never had a quarterback like him, somebody that should have the game flow through him. So does he shift a little bit more? And, you know, does he pass more than run? Because before he, I believe, even with the 49ers, um, he was running more than passing. Is that correct? Yeah. And with the Michigan, it was a pretty heavy split as well. So trying to figure out what his split is going to be with the Chargers is going to be really, really interesting. And I'm not concerned. I'm curious. Kyle, just on that, I mean, from so I heard it on the Ringer podcast, the 49ers, when Harbour was there, were running a lot of pistol, from what I understand, and that was relatively innovative there. You had Greg Roman as an OC, is that right as well? And that was known at that time to be an innovative offense with Kaepernick um, and obviously took them to a Super Bowl. And yes, you're not going to try and replicate that now because perhaps the two tight end sets, the, the heavy run, is not necessarily the way you play NFL Currently, it could be. The pendulum could swing back again. But I guess what I'm most excited about is that there's a history of innovation there and that what he was running when he was last in the NFL was seen as innovative. So surely he looked at himself in the mirror and goes, you know what we need to do. We can't just, you know, take the take the the template that we did at San Francisco or at Michigan or wherever else I've been and put it here. We've got to learn from that and let's try and do some new stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think what we might end up seeing is a little bit more of a Bills style offense that we not not in how much they pass and how vertical they get, but just in the role of Justin Herbert, where now he might be unleashed a little bit more as a runner, where mm. we were previously had to do that. Um, you know, he did that with I, I don't know, he actually didn't run Alex Smith that much. Um, put up more words with the Chiefs, which I thought look that up, but he did unlock Kaepernick. Um, and when they, they brought over that offense to the Ravens, which was interesting when they wanted to unlock Lamar. Now that's not, you know, Herbert's not Lamar, but, uh, when they shift reshifted and redesigned that offense around him and moved off Flacco, they brought over, um, Roman. So that's just an interesting thing to observe as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you make a really good point about how he's, well, I feel like he's been able to adjust so well over the course of 20 years with such success that there's no reason to say that he, you know, he has history and uh, credit as being innovative or associated with innovative processes. There's no reason why even at 60 years old, he can't do that moving forward. Um, so I guess that sort of quashes for mine, the, the concern about not being in the league for 10 years, like sure he's gone back to college, but um, it's, it's such a, like, he uses what he has so well and, and has a track record of that. Um, there's going to be, I think a little bit of, uh, personnel shift for him to kind of make work how he wants to make it work. Um, you know, he loves, he loves his God's, God's, God's formation, power run. So at the moment, don't really have the, uh, the, the real strength to do that, but you know, that'll, it'll come and, um, I'm not even yeah particularly concerned about his absence from the league over the last decade because I think he can um he's he's not scheme specific. He yeah. is a, a hirer of excellent colleagues and then gets you know he knows what he ha has and what he needs and he's able to then execute the hirings as he needs to achieve that. So 
I still think um, there are a few tenets we can really expect to see because I don't think he's got away too much from some of the stuff he did with the 49ers. And if you watch Michigan through their college playoff and their national title game, we know we can expect to see like a big 250-pound fullback. We can expect bigger tight ends, run-blocking tight ends. I think we can expect to see quite a lot of pistol unbalanced formations of the offensive line. He likes to have two tackles to one side or bring an extra tackle in. So I do still think we're going to see a very clear emphasis on running the ball and with a bigger size running back. If you look at Blake Corum for Michigan, who's five foot nine, 205 pounds, maybe he becomes the charger. I think those styles of players, he wants to win up front, both sides of the ball. And interestingly, I think, I think we're seeing a lot more of that in the final four teams that we're going to watch play tomorrow. If you look at how the Ravens have been built, that's what they do. If you look at how the 49ers have been built, they do some of that too. So maybe it's not the worst thing when it seems to be working now. And at least he's got a clear, I think, philosophy on what he wants his football team to do. Yeah. Agreed. Um, So concerns out the window. What are we most excited about? Is there anything you kind of, Jack, you want to jump in on that? I think it's the opportunity to have someone in the building that is not, when I say X's and O's and easy, I'm, I'm not meaning that it's like only one can do it. But I guess the, uh, when you hire a first time head coach, what you are generally going off of is that you're going off the way that they understand the game and then the plan that they have in their head for what the organization will be like. And they can lay it out for you in a six hour interview. But the issue with a first time head coach is that can you actually execute that because you haven't done it before. Now, what I'm most excited about is you've got a gentleman in Harbour that comes in and goes, I know what I need to do. I've done it before. Now, the other side of that is that, as I said, you just do what you did at Michigan or 49ers and, you know, you, you don't adapt, but I don't think he is that way inclined. So it's lovely to see a guy, or I'm looking forward to seeing a guy on the sideline that has command of his OC, that has command of his DC, of the special teams, and there's just an overarching hand, a cool, okay, let's not maybe call Harbour cool and calm because he's not, but just a, an experienced person there. And he knows how to manage all the micro interactions that you have at a training in the, in the walking down the hall on the sideline. And he knows that every single one of those is going to be key to the success of the team on the field. So I think that's really nice to finally have someone that knows uh, obviously everything on the field, but a lot of stuff that happens off the field that we're not privy to. Um, So that's what I'm most excited about. A real true leader who knows what he needs to do off the field. Nice. Al, what are your thoughts, mate? It's hard to look. Look, for me, the most exciting thing is just straight up the track record. It's it's quite ridiculous. Like when he when he um, went to USD, Kyle, not too far away from your neck of the woods, his head coaching record there was twenty nine wins, six losses, and before that, the the uni was a basket case. Goes to Stanford. Last time Stanford had won ten games was in nineteen ninety two under Bill Walsh. He goes in there, 29-21 record. He recruits Andrew Luck, brings them back to relevance. Goes to the 49ers. Mike Singletree had that team in in a really bad space. He'd gone 18-22. and 22. Harbaugh comes in for, for four years. 
They make three NFC title games. He's got a record of 44 wins, 19 losses. They make a Super Bowl. Okay, ridiculous. And then he goes off to Michigan. Michigan had only won more than nine games once under its previous two head coaches. Okay, in comes Harbaugh. They win 10 games immediately. And in seven of his eight seasons, they win nine games or, or more. His record with them, 88 wins, 25 losses, win the national title game. So this guy's never failed anywhere he's been at any stage in his coaching career. So that gets me jacked. And so does um, the way his players talk about him. Um, Steve Hagland from Guilty as Charged shared a cool clip of Alex Boone, who used to be a lineman for the Niners. Mm. And his players love this guy. He's he's probably a, a bit of the opposite of Staley, where, Jack, you've mentioned time and again, and I think you're spot on. Quite intense, Brandon Staley. Like, not a lot of cajoling or laughing with the guys. Very focused on football. You hear these stories about Jim Harbaugh drinking milk out of the carton and, you know, <laughs> getting Ric Flair to talk to the guys straight from the strip club and, and just fooling about with the dudes. And the players love that. So I feel like yeah. that's going to be a, a welcome welcome change, just a bit of lightness to the whole whole team, Carl. Yeah, and it's it's brilliant that for all of us, I think the, the number one thing we wanted with the new hire was somebody at least this is this is what i wanted and i saw it echoed quite a bit on twitter x uh, that more of a ceo coach uh we've done the you know strong uh coordinator we've gone the strong coordinator route a few times you know the wonderkind attempt uh to find somebody that was a diamond in the rough um we almost did it with lynn and i think we actually that could have been something that contributed to us have, have breaking out and having a 12 and four season with Anthony Lynn was he was more focused on the attitude and the mentality of the team, but did have strong coordinators that he fell back on and Wizen Hunt and um, Gus Bradley. I know they fizzled out quite a bit, but having two guys that he could rely on that both had head coaching experience wasn't the worst procedural move for the chargers in my opinion at that time. Now we're kind of getting back to a place where, we're doing that, but on steroids, because the guy that we have in that CEO role is is established, been successful at doing it everywhere he's gone. And um, that's just, that's what we want just from an operational standpoint, from learning how to improve the culture with the Chargers. I think that's huge. I love that he hasn't been a coordinator on either side in any of the times where he's gone to these different schools. He's trusted the people around him. Some of them are following him to this team. And it, it only fills me with optimism. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's I'm not expecting a, you know, a run like the Niners did in his first season. There's a lot of reasons for us to temper our expectations for year one. But there's also no reason, in my opinion, we can't hope for a serious push into the playoffs and maybe even, you know, compete against KC and try to get a divisional in the first year. Let's see. Let's try. What do you think, Jack? You can't have innovators everywhere. So Staley was an innovative DC and then went into being a head coach. You've got Kellen Moore who's trying to make a mark uh, or trying to make a name for himself. So, you know, as you said, I think you make a really good point, Kyle, with the Lynn. He was very much more of a leader, personnel, understanding, getting the attitude of the players right to go and execute. And then we had some relatively strong coordinators under him. But again, McCoy came as, a, as an innovative offensive mind to, 
innovative in inverted commas there. Let's just, I'm not calling Lynn, uh, sorry, McCoy innovative. So yeah, to have that calm hand over the top that allows someone like uh, a Minter or who knows who our OC is going to be, but to innovate, but at the same time, just to go, hold on, you know, you said you wanted to do this last week and now you want to do this and now you want to do this. Where's the coherency? Where's the structure? Where are the links here? Because if we keep trying to jump around, jump around and micromanage all the time and try to change this scheme and change that and change that, where's the coherency? And I think hopefully Harbour can bring that from an X's and O's standpoint. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jack. I just want to sort of cap it up, cap off because I think my excitement or where my excitement with this higher stems from is just all of that plus like, you know, the, the track record of success, um, you know, what he's, what he brings to the, the leading the men and getting all the guys behind him. Um, it's his drive. The guy speaks of, you know, faith, family and football, one of those traditionalists, if you will, and how his mantra is every day, wake up and win that day. And he has, you know, had success, with bringing Stanford and San Diego up, uh, he had success in the NFL, getting the Niners to a Super Bowl. Missed out, that fizzled out. Went to Michigan, brought them up, has won the college football playoffs, the national championship, and now he's come back into the NFL. And the only thing left on his list is a Super Bowl. And with his mentality and the way he goes about this, he's, he's he just feels like that guy that will um will do what he needs to do to bring everyone up around him. And that's what excites me. I think that's a really awesome little kind of trait for him to have. Um, just before we get into the TDU mailbag, Al, uh, Jack, you astutely pointed out the Chargers have hired Jesse Minter, 40-year-old uh, defensive coordinator from Michigan. He's following Jim uh, and comes over to the team to take over from the Staley uh, defensive regime. Bit of excitement there. Still no pairing uh, with the GM just yet. Uh, Joe Hortiz and Brandon Brown, the two sort of front runners there. But Al, do you want to just run through for us, if you will, a little bit about Jesse Minter and what he's been um, doing and achieving with the, the Wolverines? Yeah, I'll try to keep it brief because there's a really good article written by your colleague, Carl Ryan Watkins on Bolts from the Blue, and we've posted a link to that on the TDU underscore charges Twitter handle. Um, but, but look, I, I think there are some real similarities between him and Mike McDonald, the Ravens DC. So Mint is a guy who's 40 years old. He was a wide receiver himself as a player in college. He was a DC for a few years with Indiana State and Georgia State. And then he worked with John Harbour and the Ravens for four seasons. He was a defensive assistant, an assistant DB coach, and a DB coach. This is 2017 to 2020. Then he decides to jump over with Harbour um, after a year in Vanderbilt. He goes to be Michigan's DC with Harbour, an assistant and interim head coach. They win the national title. They allowed an average of 10 points per game that entire time he was the DC over there. And now he jumps back into the NFL following him. Looking at Ryan Watkins' article, he hits on a few of the key points. So on the back end, there's not too much dissimilarity from Staley where they run a lot of quarters and cover six. But I think the big difference is the blitz rate and simulated pressure rate. So they blitzed 41% of the time for Michigan, which is very, very high, well above league average. And they use those simulated pressure looks a lot too, 35% of the time. So you love this, Jack. Mug, the, the amoeba front, right? Are they coming? Are they going? But most of the time they're coming, right? So I think it's... it's. I'm... Me too. 
It's exciting. <laughs> 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 we'll, we'll leave it at that. Ultimately, we don't know what he's going to do till he Four starts. But months. look, when you look at what Mike McDonald has done for the Ravens the last two years after coming back to the NFL from Michigan, this is a similar yeah. guy, a similar age bracket, believes that's in exciting. similar things. So that's yeah. exciting, man. Really exciting. Awesome. Um, yeah, well, we won't necessarily speculate on the GM hiring and who might come, unless you, you guys want to just pontificate about potential pr- prospects for an offensive coordinator p- position. Obviously, Kellen Moore's had um, a couple of interviews uh, with the Browns, the Bucks, and the Eagles. Um, who else do you think might be a <laughs> toodaloo, as, uh, as Al says? Who, who else do you think might be on the, the short list of potentials that Harbour might bring in? to uh, lead the offense. Pat Hamilton. Nice. Nice call. That would be, like it. I think that'd be great. You know, get back to one of her. Herbert was really good his rookie year. And I really liked, it was one of the, it sucked that we had the hard knocks where we had to split time with the Rams because there were some bits where you saw Pep and Herbert. It would have been cool to see a lot more of that. I'd like to see them together. Kyle, would you prefer Pep to Greg Roman? Because that's the other hot name. We've spoken to David Shaw, who was with Harbour and Stanford. But then the other name is Greg Roman, who's been an OC in the league for a long, long time. He was with the 49ers for all those four years with Harbour. He was with the Bills for two years when Tyrod was the quarterback. He was with the Ravens for four years when Lamar won the MVP. But then he obviously got fired. So Todd Monken could come in last year. How do you feel about Greg Roman versus Pep? I really like Greg Roman if Herbert wasn't as good of a thrower as he is. If you look at kind of what Greg Roman did, he really excelled with quarterbacks that were running quarterbacks that could do enough throwing the ball. Um, But look at Lamar. I mean, I feel like Lamar kind of hit another gear this year and did very well. And part of it is because he's a much better pocket passer than people give him credit for and transcends the guys like Kaepernick, Tyrod Taylor, and young Lamar. I think young Lamar did very well in that scheme as he was still learning and developing. And I think moving on from that offense did help him get to another level and will continue progressing him. So I I think if Greg Roman did come over, Herbert would probably do pretty well. They'd probably lean on his running ability a little bit more than um, we might be comfortable with, but I don't think it'd be the best utilization of Herbert's talents because he's too good of a thrower. Yeah, I think Herbert also reads far quicker, reads the field far quicker than what I can remember Lamar in, in his early years in that Roman scheme. But what I do like about the, that 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 Baltimore scheme from a number of years ago was just the production from the tight ends and that safety blanket. So if there's a pairing of sometimes we can have that those underneath routes. I mean, Keenan's still going to be well, hopefully he's going to be there, um, but also some deep threats. Um, just to quickly before we move on, Andy, I, I've got a from a I guess a macro standpoint, you know, how I always like to talk about that. But one of my hurdles, I think, in 24 months to know if the Harbour experience is being a success is that if we start to have coordinators picked as either head coaching candidates or getting um, a lot of money thrown at them to go to to other programs, uh, that's a really good sign of a healthy uh, organisation. And it's not the, and, and it's the fact that now we've got a, a leader there that hopefully wants to develop not only 
players, but also coaches. And if we can do that, then we get great talent in. Yes, we have talent going out, but you've got the next great, bright, young thing going, oh, geez, you know, you spend two years with Jim and you get and you get a head coaching job. So that's a, that, that's kind of a, a 24-month uh, checkpoint for mine. Yeah, that's a good point because it speaks volumes about so many things, doesn't it? It shows you that the head coach that you've brought in to achieve that and hire the right guys is doing his job. The coordinators are successful and doing their job. And in reality, the team is probably successful and, and doing their job. So that's a great uh, a great marker to, especially with how we've been, with having the players in the past and not having the results, things like that. When you have the players, the coaches in place, it's almost the opposite, the, the Staley to the Harbour in, you know, experience and everything. But Staley was focused on more so one side of the ball and less able to, he kind of was the innovator and in trying to bring in, as you were saying earlier, Jack, trying to bring in yes men to achieve what he wants. If there's one breakdown in communication, that all falls to the side. Whereas Harbour is the sort of point of the umbrella that stems everything down and brings in his guys and has, you know, his way of going, Hey, uh, was it that, um, was it that Alex Boone video, Al, where, uh, he was sort of saying, you know, you just speak to the team and say, uh, um, yeah, what do you think? Uh, I trust you guys to sort of, to do it. And that's a, a really great way of self-evaluating, uh, as well as leading the team. So lots to be excited about. Obviously Pep Hamilton, just to touch on that, um, Pep Hamilton's had a lot of experience with Harbour in the past. Stamford wide receivers coach. He was the Colts OC with Andrew Luck. So followed on there. Michigan assistant head coach, passing game coordinator, 17-18 with Harbour. Chargers quarterback coach in 2020, as you said earlier, Kyle, with Herbert. So there's there's a lot that makes a lot of sense there. He bit um, in the family, Spanos. Jack. That's right. Um, as long as, you know, Pep's happy to come back. All good. Uh, all right. Uh, I think we've sort of combed through that. Lots more exciting news, surely, on the horizon for the Chargers with the GM and all the coordinators and how this all kind of this staff unfolds. It's going to be very exciting to watch. Uh, Al, I might throw over to you for a bit of hashtag TDU mailbag. Thank you very much. And thanks to our listeners too. Like I was a bit worried that at short notice we wouldn't get much of a mailbag, but we got plenty of questions in. You guys are awesome. Um, I'm going to start with a quick hitter for each of you. So the first thing that kind of comes to mind, this is from that South Australian maestro, Ash Hollick on Twitter, a wing fighter pilot. Jack, for the 2023 season, who was your biggest player surprise? I would like to think that there are some really clearly of clear, obvious answers, but I might go the development and uh, I guess the the consistency and how important he was on the field and the performance on the field uh, when he was off it, there was quite a there was quite a change. That was a low high Gilman. I think he has really shown uh, he's really shown that he's put his mind to it. And yeah, he was a very late draft pick, sixth round. I think if I'm if I'm led yeah. to believe, sixth round draft pick from Notre Dame. So one of Telesco's guys. But, you know, he's either earned himself a good payday with the Chargers or he's going to move on. Now, whether his performance is scheme specific, I know, Kyle, you've done a lot in that space, um, whether Aloha Gilman is actually as good uh, in, in another system or not. But uh, he, he's been really, it's been really fun to watch. A great piece of homegrown talent. So Aloha Gilman for mine. 
Nice. And the listeners, you see Jack could be a future politician because he just buys that 15 seconds at the start of his answer to think about what he's going to say. Expertly done. Um, that's a quick and- hitter. He's hit 10 <laughs> off 100 balls. <laughs> uh, who is, who, like the opposite of that, who is your biggest disappointment for the season, Andy? Uh, I think I've got two notable mentions. JC Jackson and Quinton Johnson oh, yeah. for how that uh, <laughs> that all went down. Um, I think it's hard, too harsh to be the biggest player disappointment being a rookie, a rookie wide receiver when a lot of the weight fell on his shoulders. It just was very upsetting to see him not be able to shoulder any of that weight. Uh, I think from a critical point of view, I'm going to look in the direction of Derwin James. Um, he Not denying there were flashes of good play, but there were regression there was regression in his play i thought uh things like the unnecessary roughness the personal foul and it's just it's disappointing for i think how his play and his output on the field exemplified the disaster that the season was um mm. and it was all just like inter interweaved but i think what staley wanted to do with Derwin james ultimately cost Derwin james a, a great season i think and it just was all yeah, so unfortunately he has to be the defensive fall guy. Plenty yeah. plenty of others there when you go 5 and 11, 5 and 12. Yes. But and ho- hopefully under the new scheme we see a new Derwin next year. Want to bounce back. Uh, That's right. And Carl, for you, what is your record prediction? Straight up, record prediction for the Bolts next year. Oh. Here we go. Uh, I would – I'd probably put the over – I'll answer that. I'll put the over under at 10 and a half, or sorry, 10 uh, wins, seven uh, losses, but I would take the over. I think there's oh. a really good chance we get to 11. I I have, My goodness. I have high, high hopes. Well, maybe linked to this one. This is a question from Duck07 on Bolts from the Blue, Kyle. And it's kind of roster related because we're going to have to tear down some of the roster and it would be pretty <laughs> impressive to still get those 10 or 11 wins. How do you think, if you needed to guess... Harbour will deal with the Keenan, Mike, Boza, Mac decision as it relates to which to cut or trade or extend mm. to solve the cap problem. That's, I mean, guys, there's not too many options. They could do what we did last year and just try to shoot ourselves in the foot again and restructure everybody. But I don't think anybody wants that. If we refrain from restructuring, which is what they should do, given that this is a new GM, they don't want to take on the sins of the last regime. Uh, just to paint a picture of how bleak it is, guys, for us to get to where I think we'd have a healthy amount of spending budget, like 20 or $22 million in spending, that's after we think about rookie signings, in-season budget, but for actual new talent brought in on the in the free agency. Um I like went through all the possible moves we could possibly do. And to get somewhere where I was comfortable, I actually had to like get rid of everybody. <laughs> That's to get to oh, God. Sound like Jack. spend. Yeah. To get to where we can spend <laughs> $22 million with re-signing an Alohi Gilman with maybe bringing on a center, a linebacker, a running back, kind of some vets that we're going to need to fill this roster because we're not going to be able to just do it with the draft. Um, to do that, we have to cut Mike Williams, cut Joey Bosa, let Lindsley retire, cut Eric Kendricks, trade Khalil Mack, and extend Keenan Allen, uh, which should lower his cap hit by about hmm. $14 million. That gets us to having $22 million in spending. So there is, you know, you, if you want to back out of that, 
we can't we we can't even keep those we can't even just keep Mac right there. Mac only mm. provides $23 million in savings. So all of those moves, and we would still be in a negative cap situation unless we move off from Mac or extend him. So well, Carl, let me just my- narrow in on something there because, and then I'll jump to the next one. But I think everyone, everyone assumes that two of those four big names are gone. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone assumes it's going to be Mike Williams and Boza. But do you think we're looking at three of them gone? Do you think they I would think be prepared looking. also to trade Mac? Yeah, yeah, I think they need. I think they need to be prepared to trade Mac because in a season where we're going to be overturning so much, when you think about what his twenty-three million dollars in savings can do, along with the comp, uh, the compensation he's going to return in draft picks, which he should get us. Mm. History suggests with the Von Miller trade, a second and a third. If you want to push back on that with me and say, well, he's a year older than Vaughn Miller, even though he wasn't as, even though he was more productive than Vaughn. And when the Rams traded for Vaughn, they only got half of season of production out of him. Um, So that was a pretty steep price to pay for half of season. Um, Maybe it's a second this year and a third the following year or something like that. But that's two players. And then with that $23 million that his savings gives us, when you think about how you can structure the cap hits to be very minimal in this year and put most of them on the back end when we have a lot more flexibility, um, that could be another four or five starters, guys. Like that that mm. alone can fill this roster. And that's – so I think we are going to look at losing potentially three of them. Um, I think Allen – and with Allen, it's going to need to be a, hey, buddy – we have to re- this. We have to extend you. There's no play out this year and see how it goes with this new coach. It's either extend or trade at this point because he as well has too big of a cap hit to keep on the roster as it is. But he is somebody that they should prioritize giving a, a longer contract to without, you know, too much guaranteed money to where we're totally screwed in the long run. Okay. Uh, what do you Sounds think like- about that, Al? Would you want to keep two of them? Do you think there's a way to do it or? I'm open. I'm open to getting rid of three. I'm open to getting rid of three. It would depend on the strategy, but I think there is something to be said for taking our medicine now, early, as taking the medicine, as some of our listeners like to say, and just getting that over and done with, starting afresh with hopefully lots and lots of draft picks. All right, this question is for myself, and I'm going to get the glasses out because we're going. (laughs) This one's from Tower Eight Three Seven. He says he can't find the answer to this question anywhere, which really scared me because if he couldn't find it, I'm in trouble. Uh, and he said, look, does Mike Williams have to pass a Chargers team physical before he can be released? And it, it might that impact how he's, he's um, dealt with? And I uh, went and read the uh, NFL collective bargaining agreement, which is about 380 pages long. And I went to try and find something relevant in there. And I think I'm still not 100% sure because it's difficult to see, but I think... It depends if you want to cut him or trade him. If you want to cut him, the risk of cutting him while he's still injured is there is an injury grievance process under the CBA, which is a claim or complaint that a player can make if at the time they're released, they were physically unable to perform because of an injury they suffered. So a lot of times player uh, clubs will enter into an injury settlement with that player um, that typically involves paying the player a portion of their salary corresponding to the time when they're expected to be sidelined until they're healthy. So I think if they were to cut him, they're going to have to have some sort of negotiation with Mike if he's still hurt at the time, which might mean they want to wait until 
into the off-season, into the training camp perhaps to do it. If they wanted to trade him, I think it's more straightforward. Every trade is generally subject to the, tra- the player passing a physical with a new club. And those teams will have that as a clause in their trade deal. So generally, I think it probably means if the team wants to cut Mike before the new year, league year, there could be a bit, bit of negotiating going on or an injury settlement. Otherwise, if they want to trade him, they're probably waiting until he can pass a physical. Hope I did that justice, Tout. Um, again, oh, it's I, hard to I find the answers. Oh yeah, yeah. Jump in. I, Tell me I'm, I'm wrong. Not 100 on this man because um, I've, I've gone down that rabbit hole too, and I I don't know if the grievance thing is specifically for the situation that we're in with Mike Williams, where the season has ended. There's a new season coming up. Makes sense to have negotiations if that's the case, which they do have. Like there's. You know, you normally will sign a contract if you put it, if you're worried about that situation, they negotiate an injury guarantee for that year. Um, I believe that's what they were negotiating with Russell Wilson or why Russell Wilson got benched is because they didn't want to have to deal with that or run that risk. In that case, he gets injured, then they can't release him until he clears a physical, right? Hmm. Um, I think for what you're referencing, Al, it might be for players that are hurt in season that are cut after they're injured in season and don't have vested veteran guarantees. Right. Um, you know how if you're a vested veteran over, I think it's, what is it, three or four years accrued service, um, you if you're on the week one day roster, your salary is guaranteed for the year. Younger players don't have that. So my my guess, and this is just me going circumstantial, Alan, not really having it ironed out completely, but I think if you get injured and released when you're not vested, then players can file grievances to try to get paid for those weeks where they're without pay, injured with the injury they sustained while they were playing for you until they're healthy again and can get signed to a new team. Just okay. Case. Well, between the two of us, by the time you uh, take your test and become a player's agent, Carl, we'll, we'll work it all out. All right. This one is for you, uh, Jack. And it comes from Dominic Muchachito, your good friend. Which player already on the roster stands to gain the most from the new regime? Spiller, Derwin, or maybe Dayon Henley or someone else? That little bit of discourse, I felt like I was in some... Uh, NFL version of suits. No, I'm going to, no, he's got a grievance. He's got a, uh, uh, I'm awake again, which is good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with short and sharp and nothing on field. I'm going to go with the leadership of Justin Herbert. Justin nice. Herbert is not a, he's not a rah-rah guy from what we understand. He's relatively introverted. He lets his play do the talking. I'm hoping that Harbour can foster uh, and figure out who Justin Herbert is and make this Justin Herbert's and Harbour's team together. That relationship between the coach and the quarterback is sacred. All the good ones have them. Whether you're a coach or a quarterback, you have, uh, you have, a, you have a good relationship. Um, so I'm going to go with Justin Herbert. Nice one. And while you're still in the, in, in the chair, Jack, this is from DS underscore the run. How would you feel about obtaining Zach Ertz from the Lions? who's currently sitting on the practice squad. Very specific. Very, very specific. The team builder in me asks, will he be a part of a Super Bowl run? Given his injury history, I would suggest not. Then the team builder in me goes, well, what do we have in the tight end room at the moment? 
will he be a good mentor for a rookie tight end? And I go, possibly. Then the team builder in me again goes, well, he's going to cost a little bit of money. He could be injured for most of the season. I'm confident in myself as, a, as Jim Harbour. I can foster, I, I can teach young kids. I've been in the college system for the last however many years. I know what, I know what drives them. I know how to get them going. I don't need uh, an old hand. So I'm going to say, no. Good, Jack. Ever the big picture organizational man, and he's just nailed it as always. Andy, I've got a couple for you, mate. Yep. All right. This is from at BL De Bruyne. I think he's a Dutch listener. Andy, how many new starters are you expecting on the offense next season? Uh, Expecting versus wanting. I'll answer the question. I think I'm going to go with three. I see a new center, uh, a new tight end and a new running back. I think it's unrealistic to suggest too many changes with where we are. I think Pipkins would still start at right tackle, um, even if we drafted a a tackle high. Uh, Hmm. Just think he'd sit behind him a little bit. Um, I've got QJ, Keenan Allen, and Palmer as the three wide receivers. Gerald Everett hitting free agency, probably a new tight end starting. And yeah, Herbert with a new RB1. Nice. I reckon you might be on the money there too. So three. I I crunched that out for, do you guys remember when we did our continuity episode? Yep. Yeah. When we did that, we found that between 20 and 24 core players would be on a roster in a championship year, um, having taken 30 or more snaps from the year before. That's how we were kind of measuring continuity, right? Uh, when I looked at who it looks like we're going to be keeping and retaining, we only have nine core guys on offense, assuming that, like uh, Andy is saying, Everett, uh, as well as Eckler, Kelly, Mike Will, uh, Lindsley, and Clapp are gone, and only five guys on defense if Asante Samuel, no, sorry, if Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day, who's already gone, Mac, Bosa, Nick Williams, Kendricks, Murray, uh, Michael Davis, and hopefully Gilman stays. But right now, he's a UFA. We only have five core guys returning. Jesus, so right now, we're looking at sucks. 14. So continuity is going to be a thing. So, and with roster building for 2025, we're going to need to backfill those positions and prioritize, you know, making sure that we get some good guys that are going to carry on and rebuild this core. That's good, though. Blank canvas. Paint a masterpiece. Give us a Picasso. Uh, and Andy... This is this one's from the Shameless Optimist on Twitter. Where were you when you found out we got Harbaugh? He says, I was in the office and jumped out of my chair and headed to my other charges buddies in the office to chest pump. Love the show. Love you guys. Bold up, baby. Nice. Love the energy of the chest pump celebrating a new coaching hire. I was, when I found out, I was, I was on the couch holding my bub. Um, just watching uh, the news and picked up my phone and saw all the messages coming in. So yeah, that's where I was. No jumping up for joy, just taking it easy with a three-day-old infant. But Ozzy, Ozzy <laughs> let out a little poo in excitement, I've heard. Yeah. yeah he, he knows he shit, what's up. He, he shit the bed in, in excitement, that's for sure. Um, yeah, that uh, was great. Man. Great moment all round. Great news, great vibes. Um, okay. Thanks, thanks for listening, dude. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, everyone, a couple is, more. everyone is chipped in. Uh, this one's from at Chris made that I'll take this one. 
He says, what does the TDU mock draft look like now that we have Jim Harbour? Uh, probably a little early. We're still digging into prospects, but I thought I'd mention just a couple of things for a bit of fun. As I said earlier, we, I'm expecting like fullback, heavy running backs, blocking tight ends. And if you look at the Niners drafts when Harbour was the coach there, 2011, I'm just looking at the first few picks. Alden Smith, Colin Kaepernick, Chris Culliver, the defensive back, 2011. Good draft. 2012, they, they stuffed it up. AJ Jenkins, wide receiver. LaMichael James, running back. Joe Looney, guard. They really stuffed that draft up. 2013, Eric Reed, the safety. Tank Carradine, defensive end. Vance McDonald, tight end. Not too bad. And then the last one, Jimmy Ward, the safety. Carlos Hyde, the running back. Chris Borland, the linebacker. You're seeing a lot of this, you know, linebacker, lineman, running backs, run the football. It'll be interesting to see if that changes... You know what down. a you know what a mock draft looks like for me. We're sitting at pick number five. I'm calling up Tommy Telesco. Do you want to trade up for a running back? Can you give me your first, your future first, your future future first, and your second and third picks? And Tom Telesco goes, "Oh yeah, FTR baby. Good luck with Tommy tickets." Oh man, that's so good. Um, hey, on that on that question, because a couple of people asked this one too, is it too early, guys, to have a, a, an impression of um, Scotty said, "What do you think? We'll, who do you think will draft a pick five and why?" Ragav said, "You know, neighbors or Bowers." There's a lot of discussion about this. Anyone want to jump in with a view, Andy? Yeah, um, it is early. I'm pretty torn. I don't want to spoil one or two of my questions for the next segment. So okay, okay, I'll I'll hold off. You will right. be plenty. There'll be plenty of chat in in the upcoming weeks. All right, trade down, says Jack. All right, we're going to park. <laughs> we're going to. I'm going to do one last question. Um, and Buck, I know you asked a question about schemes, but hopefully we've covered that in a bit of the previous discussion. Uh, the last one was is from Senor Snappy from the Rivers Lake Yacht Club, and he said, "Have yeah. any of you been a been able to talk your wives into author authorizing a home game this coming season? Trying to measure the real." Harbour effect here. And I'm just going to say, look, Senior Snappy, it's hard enough getting a podcast up at the minute. We've got new dads left, right and centre. Let's just <laughs> let it breathe about flying across the Pacific to the US. Maybe if the Chargers make a Super Bowl. Oh, I, sn I sniffed that question out like uh, we're going to petition to try and get a Chargers game over here. Uh, that might actually be more feasible given where we are currently at in our lives so yeah <laughs> we'll, and a bit of excitement we'll around and then, money and chris harry shouting us out maybe you know you start with reading a draft pick in april and then we can get a game here in oz that'd be that'd be bloody exciting one run one rung at a time though i think uh senior schnappy you uh, know i'm a two-rung guy uh all right <laughs> well, well thanks everyone who submitted questions uh thanks guys excellent. and appreciate it y'all hashtag tdu mailbag yeah uh, all right, let's do a bit of red light, green light. We've each prepared a few statements about the charges in the NFL. Red light, of course, disagree. Green light, agree. Uh, I'm going to hit it off. Jack, in hiring Jim Harbour, the charges as an organization has turned a corner. Spanos is walking the walk. Red light, green light. Orange light. Ah, oh, you always do this. <laughs> uh, very ultraviolet light. Also known as amber. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to say that it's half foot on the gas, half foot on the brake. As I said at the start of the show, it screams the Spanos because they know him, but also it's turning over a new leaf. So I'm going to say orange light. Andy, I'm going to throw one straight back at you, mate, because this is 
uh, something that's been a bone of contention on a, on, I know that Money and Bucky talked about it, but the question is the Spanos are showing that they are not cheap by hiring Harbour and by the contracts they have been giving out over the last number of years. Oh, this really hits me in the feels because I've just started to walk back my view on this. I watched Bunny and Chris talk about the, uh, you know, this is it. This is where the buck stops. No more calling the Spanos family cheap for doing this. And the green light, I agree. I think they're now starting to invest in the team and have realized that, you know, they've invested in the stadium what was it? A billion dollars to move up from San Diego to LA plus the licensing fees in all that jazz is starting to invest some money, potentially the one of, if not the highest paid coach in the league. Um, I mean, I agree. Yep. Green light. Uh, all right. All right. I'll, I'll jump in with this one. I'll, I'll, you okay. Go. You go, Andy. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, Kyle, forget Andy Reid, McVeigh and McDaniel. Ben Johnson is the best defensive play caller in the NFL today. Ben Johnson is the best defensive play caller in the NFL? Offensive. I thought you said defense, but I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> just the roomie for a loop. Um, Amber light. I, I would, I would green light that. I mean, what he's done with the Lions, the way he's turned them around has been absolutely incredible. Uh, I wouldn't, I am not comfortable. I wasn't comfortable choosing him as a head coach over Harbaugh. But in terms of an offensive play caller, as a coordinator, it's brilliant. It's just the kind of guy that we'd like to have as a coordinator for our team, uh, is how I would like to leave that. Um, let's go back to Alistair. Alistair, you know I kind of teased you with this on Twitter X. I need you to make me your best pitch to convince Brandon Staley to become a quarterback coach and climb the offensive uh, coaching ladder. And then, uh, once, you, once you've once you made that pitch, red light or green light your own pitch. <laughs> I'm all in on quarterbacks. I can tell you right now, he'll green light it. <laughs> hey, Brandon, you know you were a quarterback. You know you're one of the guys. You've got it. You're cerebral. You're smart. Accent. You've got a great family. You know you want to be front and center. You don't want to delegate stuff to people. You want to be working with the king. You want to be working with the boss, the head of the franchise, and that is the quarterback. The quickest way to become an NFL head coach again is to be a quarterback whisperer. Obviously, your whispering and your sweet nothings to the defense was one half of hot trash for the last three years. So go and make a lot more money as a quarterback coach. Oh, you got it in you. Go do it. Red light myself. Oh. <laughs> Alistair, I asked you to give the pitch. Why did you have an accent there at the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He went the accent excited, and man. then he I'm a chameleon. The like, I'm like Jack lives in London for a few years and picks up an East London accent. <laughs> oh, mate, I'm talking to my... <laughs> I'm talking to my man. All right, Andy, your turn for a question, mate. Uh, well, actually, this is... Kyle, this one's going to you. Um, and you touched on it a little bit earlier. One season is not enough time for Harbour to turn this team around to reaching its potential. Red light, green light. Red light. Um, its potential being that Herbert should be a Super Bowl winning quarterback and they're not going to win the Super Bowl next year. Uh, do I think they can make a strong push, compete all the way to the divisional game? Maybe even 
make it to the um, conference championship the way the Niners did, there's a chance. That's not my expectation, but they should compete and be a very strong punch you in the mouth type of team next year. 2025, sky's the limit. Cool. Uh, let's Sorry. go with uh, Jack. I got one for you, buddy. Um, the Chargers should commit to Jamari Sawyer, the tackle, as opposed to Jamari Sawyer, the guard, and see if they pipkin. Red light. Um, my foot is on the gas for this one. That is a 100% green light all the way, 0 to 60 in uh, in 2.5 seconds. Solia, I believe, is a far better right tackle. Get rid of Pipkins. He showed that he could do it last year at the left tackle position with another year in an NFL strength program uh, and uh, and weight training and obviously diet and everything like that. I think he is should be the right tackle for the future. So what I'd love to see is Slater at left tackle and Pipkins anchor the right going forward for the next foreseeable future 100 percent green light solia right sorry solia um uh, uh uh here we go alistair i'm gonna throw this one at you justin herbert will be a less prominent force on the field or may seem to regress under harbour's overall game plan in year one maybe i think in year one maybe Right, because I think the the head with the roster situation, and we're going to have to do a bit of a tear down, and they might not win as many games. He might not pass for some of the eye watering yardage in year one. They might establish the run, that kind of thing. But then as we move forward, I think what we're going to see is a lot more playoff wins, and I think we're going to see him really pushing up and back in those MVP conversations once the team gets good again, because he's he's an elite elite quarterback. So I guess I went that split down the middle, just like your answers, Jack, there. I'm going to throw it back to you, man. Red light, green light. The Spani interviewed 15 candidates for the head coaching role, but it was just a smoke show. Harbour was always going to be the guy if he agreed. Green light. I think that is probably true. They had their candidates. He would have been at the top of their draft board. They would have been sitting there. However... I do like the process of, of just going through the process anyway, because you just don't know what's out there. You just don't know what relationships you can build with someone else. Uh, and it's fascinating from an owner's standpoint to see what another team might get in a head coach position. So, you know, you might sit down with a, a head coach candidate and you go, oh, not really for us, but then the Atlanta Falcons hire him and you go, oh, okay, interesting. What was it that they saw in him and what insights can we glean from how our opposition are doing things that, that, and that we can make our organization better? So I think the process was good. I, 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 I would far prefer interviewing 15 20 candidates and then even picking that and then if you come back to the to the same guy and go he's it all the better for it so green light uh kyle this is a draft question and i kind of alluded to it before but we should we should trade down from pick number five considering our roster situation yeah it's a, that's a big old green light for me it's not a matter of if we should, it's a matter of how far down we go. Um, I've got the Falcons and the Raiders both tabbed as potential landing spots that I think are really interesting. Building on the question I asked you, Jack, 
I um I wouldn't mind seeing a big trade down with the Raiders that includes Trey Pipkins to kind of push them over the top because if you look at the JJ chart values, we could trade down with them and get their first, second, and third, and it would be about a half of a third round overpay, which I think Trey Pipkins could bridge. Um, on the other side, I really like what we could do with the Atlanta Falcons. People are asking, should we get a tight end? Should we get a wide receiver with that first pick? Well, what if we traded back to eight, got Kyle Pitts and maybe a third? Um, that'd be a slight overpay by them. It's if it's that's basically if we were able to get them and the Raiders to um, be in a bidding war. In uh, looking at Falcons fan pages, they attributed Pitts's trade value at right around a third rounder. So again, with the JJ chart, that'd be about a half a third round overpay. Um, like a mid third, half half of a th half of a top end third overpay, um, which I think isn't that bad for a team trading up for a quarterback. So it'd be kind of fun to say, okay, we got Pitts, and then we got a wide receiver that we really wanted. Or if we're really stoked on the heavy sets and Harbaugh's offense and want two tight ends, I still wouldn't shy away from getting Pitts and and uh, Bowers personally. No, I think oh, also the I think the Vikings are also it. in the in the gun for trying to because Kirk Cousins is moving on and Justin Jefferson probably wants a so the Vikings are, I've heard it in that conversation as well but love it yeah definitely right. could be um, Andy let's get one for you buddy um, although the top ranked wide receivers are real tempting it's actually one of the stronger position groups on an otherwise weak roster and the Chargers shouldn't prioritize more than a day three pick or two on wide receivers Ooh. in 2024. Oh, day three. I consider that whilst our roster as it stands in terms of the wide receivers is okay, it is still lacking considerable speed and twitch. So I'm going to red light that. Uh, I think if there's a good guy available, maybe not at five, uh, but you know, in a trade down scenario where you still get a top 10 and you could land a, a Romo Dunes, um, uh, yeah, I'm going to say day three might be a little too late. I do need to do a little bit more digging into the class, but I think I'm just not sure that I've seen much, uh, going that late that would sort of fill the need. Cause we're still not sure what QJ will do next year. If he's crap again, Harbour's the kind of guy who'll be like, all right, well, a good idea. <laughs> uh, Harper's the kind of guy that will um, put him on his bum and sit him on the sideline and say, you don't get to play until you can learn how to do it. So no I'm going to red light that. Alex yeah. Erickson. Alex Erickson. Yeah. Freaking season savior. Bring him back. Yeah. yeah he made Bandy back those. too. Michael yeah. Bandy. <laughs> uh, all right. Jack, you've answered that one. So maybe I'll do the last one, guys, and we can move on to a bit of Super Bowl prediction stuff and just play off chat. Ali boy, there was a bit of offline discussion surrounding the Chiefs-Bills game last weekend. You always expect uh, fans to heckle players, but red light, green light, players heckling fans after a win is a shithouse look. This is amazing. I had the exact same question for you. We had a bit of a discussion <laughs> with some friends. I know you're listening, Dom. Here's your, um, here's your soapbox, mate. I'll get, I'll get, I think it's a bad look is the answer. I green light think it. I'll green light it. And even if, you know, people were, Bills fans were swearing at chief players, throwing snow at them, all that kind of thing, you know, you're taught to try and be a humble winner and to kind of lead by example. There are, you know, people watching on television, children watching on television. When you see the chiefs players 
altogether waving off the Buffalo fans. I don't think it bodes very well. I think it incites violence between opposing fans in the stands as well. Um, and at its heart, I think it's irrational. I think what you're doing there is you've had maybe 10 individuals who are behaving badly and you're projecting that towards 30,000 Bills fans, some of whom it's probably cause, you know, your grandma sitting there just enjoying a nice cup of tea in the freezing cold. And, you know, he's got <laughs> Travis Kelsey standing there giving her the, flipping her the bird. Not a great look. Let's try to tidy it up. But I would expect nothing less from those dirty chiefs. Red light. You already green lighted it. You green lit it and then you red lighted it at the end. <laughs> I'm red lighting the Chiefs. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. What about when Sirianni and coaches do it, Al? Yeah, I don't, I look, if it's my coach and he's like doing the chop or something on the sideline, that's okay. <laughs> if it's my coach and my players, totally fine. But anyone else, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gross chop. All right. Uh, thanks for sticking around with us, guys. We're just going to wrap the show up today with a bit of a playoff chat, a little bit of live football chat. Um, so what I want from you guys is the AFC title winner, the NFC title winner, Super Bowl winner. And if you wouldn't mind, just throw me in a little bit of like your favorite storyline from the playoffs so far. So uh, Jack, I'm going to go with you before you nod off there. Um, far away. Uh, I am going to go two picks with my heart. I want the Chiefs to lose very badly. So Lamar and it's I think Lamar... not even the Ravens winning, just Chiefs lose. <laughs> just yeah. Chiefs lose. And I think Lamar deserves... He, he's probably... He's got two MVPs and I think he deserves a Super Bowl. And I'm going to pick the Ravens to win the Super Bowl as well. Uh, in the other game, I'm going to go with my heart and I'm going to hope that Jared Goff is the more experienced quarterback. I always... In these close games, who's it going to be? I saw enough from Purdy last week that really worries me. So I would go uh, Lions, Ravens in the playoffs. Uh, sorry, in the Super Bowl. The biggest storyline would have to be the Detroit, the Detroit Lions. I'd love them. I love Dan Campbell. What they've done for that city. It's so noisy in that stadium. And look, in in um, is it Lucas Oil? What's it called? No, Ford. Ford is it Ford? Ford. Ford Field. Yeah. It's wonderful to see the elation. Is is great. I just love the Lions, and and, and I kind of hope they win. Indeed, love it, love it, love it, love it. Uh, I'll jump in. So I am exactly like you, Jack. I think in in the on you know title games, you can typically have like one slight upset. So I think the Lions actually send the 49ers home, and poor Kyle Shanahan can't get it done again. And like you, I think the Ravens have been the best team all year. Oh, we have hey. a visitor on the show. She was gonna wear a Herbert jersey, but we ran out of time. But we just wanted to introduce y'all to our hey. little Izzy girl. Yay! Oh, Izzy. <laughs> Is he? Hi. Oh, oh. loves it. Big camera shy early on. <laughs> She's clearly a Chiefs fan, not happy with my prediction. <laughs> so there you go, guys. Oh, oh, congratulations, Hi. guys. We'll congrats, guys. Congrats, Thanks, guys. Love you so oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Nice. I love that little nugget. Yeah. Yes, so I think the Ravens are going to win. And then storyline, I'll, I'll go analytical, of course. I think it's interesting to see there are different ways of winning the Super Bowl these days. If you look at points scored on offense, 49ers were third, Ravens were fourth, Lions were fifth, Chiefs 15th. So Chiefs are kind of the outlier in terms of rush efficiency and uh, offensive efficiency, but they've got Mahomes. But you can also win Super Bowls, like they say, on defense. And if we're just looking at points allowed on defense, Ravens are first in the NFL, Chiefs are second, 49ers are third. But then you've got the Lions at 23rd as the massive 
outlier. They're also 24th on sacks, the Lions, even though the Ravens are first and the Chiefs are second. So if you want to win the Super Bowl, obviously you be kind of, you want to be, I think, not one of those outliers. And I think as the Chiefs are a bad outlier on offense and the Lions are a bad outlier on defense, they're going to disappear. Kyle. Nice. Um, I won't go too too far into it. Uh, Ravens need to win for obvious reasons. I want the Lions to win. The storyline for me is by far the Lions having the season they're having, partially because of how crappy of um, a luck they've had or performance they've had over the last few decades. Um, it's great to see things turn around for that city, for those people, for those fans. Um, I love an emotional CEO motivating, motivating style coach in Campbell um, succeeding. I think that's great for the league. His the energy that he brings and who that dude is in his heart is good for everybody. Um, and I love the storyline of their general manager kind of being like an intern rising from the top within that organization. Uh, and I love what it does to everybody that says, that tries to obsess over positional value and all these other things. When the Lions went out last year and their first, what was it, six draft picks? In the first round, they got a running back, running back and a linebacker. linebacker, tight end, and then they followed it up with a safety. It's every, <laughs> They did everything that, they, that everybody on Twitter likes to tell you you can't do. And they yeah. went out and did it, and they kicked ass. <clears throat> so I think that's badass. It's good for the league. It's a counterpunch to anyone that tries to dunk on you about drafting Bowers and uh, nice. some other stuff as well. well You'll consider that, yourself but... warned out there, Bolts fans. <laughs> Blow it up for Bowers. Come on. Um, Kyle, did you have a winner in the Super Bowl, Ravens versus Lions? I, just an emotional-based one, Lions. Just purely nice. emotional. I'm just dying. Nice. I, don't, I'm not, I, I want to see it happen, so I'm not going to put any other energy out there. There you go, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just beating beating the shit out of a pillow for the people yeah. who aren't watching on YouTube. He just uh, taught his pillow a good lesson. Yeah, I think my um, my AFC title game is emotionally charged, but I also think that the Ravens will beat the Chiefs in Baltimore. Um, NFC is a little bit emotional too because I'm right on right on the train with you guys with uh, Dan Campbell um, and watching the Lions overpower. You know, the first, number one seed in the 49ers would just be awesome. Bit of Californian rivalry as well. Uh, so I have the, the Ravens taking the title off the lions in the Super Bowl. I don't think that I could tie in my, my little moment and personal shout out in the, from the playoff series by saying that, um, I want the lions to win because, um, after the Packers did what they did against the Cowboys, cousin Dan, Packers Dan said, you guys better shout out the pack on the show. And I said, well, we'll take a couple of weeks off, but, um, for everything going around that, you know, love coming in for the pack, uh, replacing Aaron Rodgers. They come up in Dallas against their ex-head coach with a lot on the line for him. He's survived. Mike McCarthy survived. But all this chat of Dak's the MVP. Dak can't beat a team over 500 that's away from his stadium. And then he hosts the Packers and they took a huge turd on him. And it was awesome. They couldn't get the job done against the 49ers, but go Pack go. There you go, Dan. Um, prom way promising season. It almost turns out like the Packers season should have been what the Chargers was and vice versa, the way things were going. Funny how the world works in the NFL land. But yeah, 
Ravens to knock off the Lions, and I have a sneaky one that Lamar might go regular season and Super Bowl MVPs um, and just cap off what's been an awesome return from uh, from injury and new regime. All right. There we go, guys. Uh, lovely to meet little Izzy Kyle. Uh, thanks heaps for joining us again today. It's always fun doing it with you, and no doubt as the off-season churns along, We'll talk a little bit more free agency and draft and finance, and we'll get you back on for that. Um, to my Aussie boys, uh, thanks for your support this week um, with me and the the missus welcoming the the new one. And um, yeah, I'll, if we do a show where he's awake, I'll I'll pop his little mug on, uh, swaddled in a Chargers flag. So thanks, hey, guys. Andy, Enjoy the rest of the, the uh, uh, NFL season. Yo. Hey Andy, and if the TDU crew wants to comment on your guys uh, in, on YouTube or anything like that, some questions about the salary cap and stuff, let's get some activity going down there. Yeah. I'm happy to lurk in the comments and chat alongside with you guys and answer any other questions they might have salary cap related. There you have it. If you've got questions, cause them and answer them. Jack, Al, Kyle, thanks very much. Everyone out there, appreciate you guys listening to us. We're going to take a little bit of time off now and get into some draft prep and some free agency chatter in the upcoming month or two till then take it easy bolt the fuck up we got jim Harbaugh, baby Woo! Yeah. Woo! You! Bye. Backpedals looking, firing, he's got Floyd turning, got it, 6 and 10, 5, high step, touchdown!